You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. This should be enough to have whet your appetite to, to see that this is something that's not always physical and literal. Now, some, some wasn't here last week, some haven't been here at all. Um, we've seen going through many, many texts that heaven and earth is not always physical, literal, material heaven and earth. It's just not the case. It's not always Genesis 1-1 account here. It's used about for nations. It's used for the rulers and kings, a group of people. Same with stars and uh, moon and sun. This is figurative apocalyptic language that we've been seeing. And the reason why I've been doing this is because I wanted to show you guys that I believe we are living in the new heavens and earth, which sounds crazy to most people. All right. So we've gone through all of these texts and we've seen that so we ended last week in revelation the new heaven and new earth and then i asked hey where is this promise from god promises to create a new heavens and a new earth where is that at and i said it was going to be in isaiah 65 and 66 did anybody read that did you <laughs> Anybody go through that this week? Did you read it? Yeah. All right. We're going to look through parts of Isaiah 65 and 66. Jump around here and then we're going to look at other things as well. Okay. So we're going to look at this context of these verses that are in Isaiah 65. In verse 1, we see, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I to a nation that was not called by my name. Now, this is speaking of the Gentiles who would behold the Lord. Those who had not been called by his name. All right. So you have Israel, you have Hebrews, the Israelites, everybody outside of that is Gentiles. OK, we're Gentiles. This is God saying this, okay? Now, what? let's notice, though, in verses 2 through 7, what God has to say about his covenant nation Israel back then in Old Testament times, okay? He says, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh and, and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels. 
who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their bosom. Both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord, because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills. I will measure into their bosom payment for their former deeds. What is the saying? God is going to disconnect himself, if you will, but destroy disobedient Israel. But we go on. He's going to preserve a remnant. It says 8 and 10. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. So I will do for my servant's sake and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it. My servant shall dwell there. Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks in the valley of uh, Acre, a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. So here he talks of an heir coming out of Judah who will be his servants, his people, right? We go on. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you to the sword. And you And all of you shall bow down to the slaughter because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you didn't listen. But you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, my servant shall eat. All right. He's going to call a new group of people. These will be his servants. They're going to eat. Israel, old covenant Israel shall be hungry. My servant shall drink, you will be thirsty. My servant shall rejoice, you will be put to shame. My servant shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall wail for breaking of spirit. You shall leave your name to my chosen for a curse and the Lord God will put you to death, but his servants he will call by another name so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. Some of these things should start to sound familiar with what we've been over so far. Former things will be forgotten, right? We see contrasted here as fleshly, like the physical material fleshly Israel. Contrasted to a spiritual Israel. All right. God is going to destroy this first nation of Israel, Old Covenant, and take a new people, which is us, the church. All right. Now, this is the context following here. This is where God makes the promise in 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. So if you read Isaiah 65 and 66, you're going to notice that before God creates the new heavens and new earth, he has to pour out his wrath against Jerusalem 
who is his rebellious people. All right? Old covenant, blessings, cursings. They are disobedient. They are unfaithful. To put an end to this covenant, there's curses that has to be poured out. All right? And then, so when God creates then, or created the new heavens and new earth, we have to find some things here. This is why I asked you guys to read, to see what is weird here. In the physical, uh, or in this new heavens and new earth, physical death is still there. 6520. No, no more shall there be an in it, an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die, die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. 66.24 says, And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Now, let me ask you a question. If this is heaven and a redeemed earth, how fun is it going to be to go out and look upon the dead bodies? <laughs> right? So here, physical death remains and there's dead bodies in the new heaven and new earth. There's also, you go back to 65, 21, and 22, home construction and agriculture. It continues it says, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen, chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So we're working, we're building houses, we're planting. 65.23, they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. So we're having children. They shall be the offspring of the, of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants. So it means they have descendants. We, they, the descendants will have with them. So we go on to procreate. 66.22 says, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. So we have offspring. People are living, they're dying, having babies, working, building houses. Does it sound a lot like the sermons I've grown up with about the new heaven and the new earth, does it? <laughs> right? It's usually, big, you know, awesome city, walking on gold, you know, all this stuff. Everybody's, you know, praising the Lord. Now, if you go to 66, 18, and 19, you see what else is going on here. For It says, For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming, coming to gather all nations and tongues. Stop there and think about that. Did you, can you guys think of a scripture where you see a time where there's a gathering of all nations and tongues? <laughs> Olivia, you have to know that. Yeah. <laughs> Pentecost. Pentecost. Read of that. Everyone's all back together. They're all this is the reverse of what's happening in in Genesis with the Tower of Babel, right? 
This is just extra. I'm just thinking of this. Tower of Babel. They all speak one language. They're trying to build this. Uh, 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 what is it? Zigger, ziggurat? How do you say that word? Ziggurat. ziggurat. <laughs> They're trying to build this. They're going to go up to heaven. God says no. Spreads them all four corners of the earth. Confuses their languages. They all speak differently now. What do we see going on at Pentecost? Everyone's coming back of every tribe, languages, tongues. And then tongues happen and everybody can hear everybody in the, their language, right? It's a regathering. Before that, you get more uh, uh, a shadow of that too, of the Lord Jesus sending out the 70. Because what did happen at Babel? I'm just going off track now, but what happened there? He scattered them out, 70 nations. Israel is going to keep for himself. Jesus sends out 70. He's gathering them back in. Okay, so he says a time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. See that in Pentecost. They shall come and they shall see my glory and I will set a sign among them. And from them, I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, to Pool and uh, Lud, who draw the bow to uh, Tubal and Javan. To the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. This is happening in the new heaven and new earth. Evangelism. It cannot be referring to an eternal state or a redeemed planet. It has to be referring to a period in human history. And this is the period of the kingdom of God which Jesus rules in the hearts of believers. The kingdom of God is made without hands, right? It's spiritual. This is Daniel 2, 23, or 34. He says, A stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. If you remember the context here, the king has this dream of this big statue. It represents all these empires. Jesus, This is Jesus. All right? A stone... That was, was cut out by no human hand. He comes, strikes the statue, breaks it into pieces. The part that he falls on is the Roman Empire. That's what he's born into, right? The Roman Empire. And then in Daniel 2, 45, it says, And in, those, uh, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people, it shall break in pieces all those kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Colossians 2, 10 and 11, it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you, you, right, us, the church, the believers, and the Colossians, obviously, have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This is Jesus. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. This is spiritual, right, now? Remember, type and anti-type. There's types and shadows, all right? It's always from lesser to greater, physical to spiritual. It, uh, Israelites had to get circumcised. 
physically, but now a new believer is circumcised without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So if we take the statements from the scriptures with everything that we have learned, all right, the analogy of faith, comparing scripture with scripture, we then should, we should conclude that the first heavens and the first earth passed away. It's gone. It was replaced by the glorious reign of Jesus. This is a kingdom without end, it says. The new heaven and new earth stands in contrast to the Jewish world, not the present physical material world. All right? So I'm going to go where we left last week, now uh, in Revelation, all right? And look at more of this new heaven and earth. So it's in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. You remember last week, too, I referenced the part of the sea. The sea was also temple language. The outermost part of the temple, where only Gentiles were allowed, they could go no further. That was known as the sea. There was also the slaver, the sea where they, the, the, the priests had to go and cleanse themselves. There would be no more sea. But on here in, in Revelation 21, is we see what happens after this old heaven and earth are destroyed. We see this new heaven and earth. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. All right, so who's the bride? What is this holy city? Verse 9 says, Then came one of the seven angels who had had the, the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. The bride is the lamb's wife. And we know from Ephesians 5 that the bride is the church and the bride of Christ is, is the totality of God's children. Now, I, I know I may surely raise some questions in your mind if I'm looking at near the end of this book of Revelation and saying here we're in this part, <laughs> right? Uh, don't have time to go into that. I believe the book of Revelation is fulfilled. We're at the end of this book now. Uh, we have been for 2,000 years. Um, so the book of Revelation is concerned about two women, all right? We, we look at the book of Revelation as saying it's the, as a prophecy on the end of the world. I don't believe it is. But it's concerned about two women. One, one woman is the wife of God. And it says she's a harlot. So God divorces her. Babylon in the book of Revelation is a picture of Israel. Who is the unfaithful wife of God. We've seen this in Isaiah 65. The other woman is the bride. It's the wife of Jesus. This is the new Jerusalem. This is the church. She comes down out of heaven, indicating that she originates in heaven, not on earth. Why? Because it's spiritual. 21.10 
He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Revelation is also concerned about two cities. The old Jerusalem, the physical, which uh, uh, is the physical, like I said, and the new Jerusalem, it's the bride of Christ. The old city was destroyed in 70 A.D., The new city that takes its place is that city which is the bride of Jesus Christ. It's the church. Revelation Revelation is dealing with two Israels of God. And this has been represented also by Paul and his allegory in Galatians chapter 4. We're not going to read that, but I'm going to explain it to you. But basically, um, he speaks of two women who are also said to be two cities. They derive their origin from two different covenants giving birth to two kinds of children. The first is Hagar. All right, we know this from the Old Testament. Answering to a literal Jerusalem to whom a born is born a nation after the flesh. The second is Sarah. This is the answer to the new Jerusalem. Unto whom is born a nation after the spirit. These two nations or Israels are the theme of prophecy, the gospels, the epistles, and finally the revelation message here. The Jews were only concerned was if they were physical descendants of Abraham, right? When Paul addresses this in his Galatians, he's like, you guys are actually of Hagar. You're no good. Cast the, cast the bond woman out. Get her out of here. And saying that Christ in the new covenant, that, that's who you need to be of. It doesn't matter if you're physical descendant or not. It's of the heart. It's of the spirit. Okay? So, also with this in this new heaven and earth, we're, we're often taught that after this is all over, right, we get to walk on the streets of gold. And it does say that the city ha- will have streets of gold. But if you can recall what we've been talking about, figurative apocalyptic language here, God's not describing a materialistic city. He is describing his church, his people who are going to live and be with him forever. All right. So the walls of Jasper and the gates of Pearl speak of the blessedness of the new covenant, which Jesus has established. Because in Revelation 21, 22, it says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Right? So why is there no temple? Because it represented the presence of God. And in this new Jerusalem, we are in the presence of God. We need no temple. The church is the temple. The individual is a temple. In 21.3, it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So this age in which we now live in is this new covenant age. We're a new Jerusalem. We're Christ's holy bride. By its light will the nations walk and the king's of the earth will bring their glory in it. All right, this is 2124. The saved of the nations, right? The believers of all nations walk in the light of this holy city. 
We are the light of the world, right? We're a city set on a hill. You have to ask yourself these questions when you get to this, this part. This is a new heaven and earth. Why, why is there this healing for the nations? Why, uh, why are the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it? You have to into they will bring it into it. Not <laughs> you know what I mean? Its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. Of course, we think that literally. But that phrase, this age and the age to come, this age to the Jews was also known as night. They were waiting for the messianic king to come and it would be day. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. What does that mean? Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 60. Verse 11. Your gate shall be open continually. Day and night they shall not be shut. That people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. The reason that these gates are never shut is that men, men can bring in, bring into it the wealth of the Gentiles and the kings in, in procession. This is a reference to the power of the gospel. And the next verse in Revelation tells us that only those who are saved enter it. 21-27. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. All right? But here's the thing. 22, 1 and 2, we see that salvation is always available. The gates are always open to the city. Because it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. If this is a new redeemed world, why does the nations need to be healed? Aren't they healed already? So here we see the river of life. Uh, it flows forth from the temple to the nations of the world. And the tree of life is there. It's healing the nations. If we look at this in the future aspect, then we'll be at pains to explain this tree and why the nations need to be healed. All right. We have to see that this is the new covenant. It's the gospel age. It's the church age, whatever you want to pick. And it's everlasting and has no end, just as Hebrews 13 explains. So what is this river of the water of life? This was prophesied in the book of Ezekiel. In 47, 1 through 12. Where it says, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the, the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out of the south side, going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand. The man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand, led me through the water and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the, the uh 
through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into Ereba and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live And there will be very many fish for this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from uh, Injeti to (laughs) Injelium. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Fishermen, right? You're going to be fishers of men is what Jesus said. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea, but its swamps and its marshes will not become fresh. They they are to be left for salt. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary and their food. Fruit will be food and their leaves for healing. This river comes forth from the new Jerusalem in Revelation 22, which is the church, is the bride of Christ. And we are to be involved in taking the water of life to the nations. Right? Because in 22.17 it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This is the gospel being preached. This is a call to salvation. If the new heavens and the new earth are supposed to be an eternal state, why is there an an invitation to salvation still going out? The new heaven and new earth is the new covenant. And from the church go forth the water of life and the healing of the nations. Remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John 4, 10 through 14. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water uh, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This water is springing up in the person. In Ezekiel, the water flows out from the temple. And we're the temple, right? The church, corporately, we're the temple. We are the dwelling place of God. 
John 7, 37, 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is Ezekiel 47. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. We are now living in the new heaven and new earth. We are the new Jerusalem, which is the bride of Christ. Jesus Christ and His Father are among us. We need no temple. We need none of the rituals, none of the ceremonies of the old heaven and the old earth because we are in God's presence now and forevermore. So I'm going to end with this quote by Spurgeon. He says, did you ever regret the absence of the burnt offering or the red heifer or any one of the sacrifices and rites of the Jews? Did you ever pine for the feast of tabernacle or the dedication? No, because those though these were like the old heavens and earth to the Jewish believers. They have passed away and we now live under the new heavens and a new earth so far as the dispensation of divine teaching is concerned. The substance has come and the shadow has gone and we do not remember it. The old heavens and earth of Judaism have passed away. We now live in the new heavens and new earth of the new covenant. And I I pray that God would help us to fully understand and appreciate what our position is in this heaven and earth, where righteousness dwells and where God dwells with his people. 